My house sits in the middle of a row of terraced houses in Sydney's inner west. It's not a big, grand, echoing old house. It's a worker's cottage. Single storey, two bedroom. It has a long straight corridor that leads through to the lounge and the kitchen. And there's a bathroom at the back. It's cosy, but it's also haunted. And this is a story of that haunting. What has happened and is continuing to happen at my little terraced house. Over the next few episodes, I will fill you in on life behind the wooden front door of my spooky house. Spooky house. Spooky house. Hi there spook fiends, this is the owner coming back for a follow-up episode to episode 6 of My Spooky House. Quite a lot happened that night of the house clearing and we've processed some of it. As I've come to understand, the house clearing will not remove everything from a place. Some things are meant to be there and want to stay. It's been around 12 months since the house clearing. And by and large, while the atmosphere in the place is a lot more positive, strange things have happened. The small girl that appeared to Sonia during the house clearing is still around. A couple of times we've heard a disembodied voice, a child's sing-songy voice, communicating with the cats. We've also seen the cats tracking something with their eyes across the room, but they seem far more relaxed than they were before the house clearing. We've also had a return of Mr. Throwy. Further investigations with psychic mediums have said that this is a man who was potentially a ne'er-do-well in his life he lived at my house and was a bit of a thief and maybe the person that was either knocked out in the hallway and died or was the knocker outerer. We don't know. All we know is that in the middle of September, every year he comes back and this year was no exception. We've christened him Mr. Throwy. He'll literally come one night and then disappear. While last year, and as I recounted in episode five, candlestick, he came and flung a candlestick across the room. This year he came back and pulled another stunt. In the days leading up to the event this year, I began to sense that something was a little bit strange with the house and that the corridor seemed more active than usual at night. And getting up to go to the loo suddenly was a little bit more scary than usual. I'd get up and turn right out the bedroom and walk down the corridor, but all the while feeling that something was standing 
about halfway up the corridor. It was a black shadow of a person, and the person was wearing some sort of hat. This feeling persisted for about a week before the incident happened. He must have had a sense of humour, because the target of the incident was my podcast script. All written out, and folded in half, and put on my bedside cabinet. We were fast asleep, and were woken from our slumbers by the sound of flurrying paper. I quickly glanced at the clock, and it was just after 3am. As Sonia, our psychic medium friend, said, that is the twixt and tween hours where most activity occurs. So anyway, rewind. We suddenly woke up to the sound of scattering paper. What the hell was that? I said to my husband. It happened right next to my ear. He heard it too and was awake. Switched on the light. My manuscript was scattered all the way across the bedroom floor. And the strangest thing is, it would have had to have been lifted up and flung. It couldn't have just fallen. It had cleared a bedside table lamp and scattered with such force we could not replicate it. That freaked me out the most. I said to it, you can do whatever you want in anywhere else in the house, but do not muck around with our bedroom. And then as with the candlestick instant, that was the last we'd heard of it. So it will probably come back. My spooky house is still going to continue as a podcast, but I'm going to be delving into other spooky houses that I've visited. I'll keep circling back to talk about anything that might have happened at mine, but we'll be covering lots of different places like Aradale Asylum, the Junie Monte Cristo Estate, Valeskin House in Inverness, even the Cecil Hotel in LA, which has got one of the most scary histories and is classified as a house because as well as being a hotel, it was apartment living for a lot of Los Angeles down and outs. We'll be looking at Woodford Academy. We'll be looking at Berry Pomeroy Castle. We'll be looking at many, many other places as my spooky house podcast continues. This week, I've got here in my hand an amazing book that I found. Quite an old book. The Penguin Book of Ghosts is the spectres, apparitions and phantoms that haunt and is called the Law of the Land. Berkshire, my home county in the UK, has a number of entries in this book. Surprisingly, one of the most key ghost stories from Berkshire is not in there. And this is the ghost of Queen Isabella, who haunts the riverbank between Reading and Sonning. So I'll cover that off before I go into some of the others. Her name was Isabella of Valois. She was interned in the Bishop's Palace in Sonning by Henry IV after being widowed at the tender age of nine, when her husband, Richard II, was murdered. She remarried at the age of 15 and went back to France 
where she died in childbirth at the age of 19. The bishop's palace doesn't exist anymore. It's a flattened mound on top of a hill on which stands now a postmodernist looking house, all white and glass and clear crisp lines. It was certainly a story that scared us all. We were scared to walk along the river at night where the wooded coppices alongside the water seemed a lot darker and more foreboding than they did in the day. You'd always be walking with one eye over your shoulder for any footstep or any sign. Even back then you knew you were not alone. Anyway, back to this book of ghosts. So there's several sites in here. One is Bissom Abbey, which is an amazing Tudor house and was given by Henry VIII to Anne of Cleves and then passed to the Hobie family. And it's a number of these Hobies that actually roam the halls of Bissom Abbey. The cause of some of the ghosts was actually Lady Hobie herself, who expected very rigorous intelligence from her sons and daughters. And when one boy, William, distressed her with his stupidity, and she was particularly enraged by his slovenly handwriting and ink-stained copybooks, she gave him a severe whipping, and as a result, he died. There's reference to this even in Jerome K. Jerome's Three Men in a Boat, written in 1889. He says, The ghost of Lady Hobie, who beat her little boy to death, still walks there at night, trying to wash her ghostly hands clean in a ghostly basin. Anne Mitchell wrote about the same haunting in 1972. She says Lady Hobie, after having whipped the child, locked him in a closet with his books and set off for London, forgetting to tell anyone where he was. The servants assumed the boy had gone to London too, and it was not until many days later that anyone looked for him, and of course he was dead. John Mead Faulkner, in his handbook for Berkshire in 1902, also talks about this tale. He says it is certainly curious that about 1840, in altering window shutters, the quantity of children's copybooks from the time of Queen Elizabeth were discovered, packed into the rubble between the joists of the floor. And one of these was a copybook, which answered exactly to that story, as if the child could write not a single line without a blot. Faulkner does not say that he saw those books himself. And their whereabouts now is not known. Anyway, Lady Hobie's ghost, as Jerome K. Jerome says, does wander the halls of Bissom Abbey, wandering from one bedroom to the other, weeping and washing her hands in a spectral basin which glides before her in mid-air. According to Faulkner's account, the spirit's face and hands are inky black, but the dress is white. Would this be indicative of a spirit that has committed evil deeds in life? Anne Mitchell's account also includes mention of an occasion where Admiral Van Sittart, owner of the house in the 1920s, became aware Lady Hobie was standing in the library behind him. There's some Stone Age 
Neolithic sites around the Reading area. One of those is at Inkpen, Inkpen Hill. There's several prehistoric round barrows, which is supposed to contain buried treasure, including a coffin made from gold or silver. One particular barrow on Sadler's farm is said to be haunted by a headless ghost. It's also said that the 19th century archeologists who tried to open up the barrow were driven away by fierce thunder and lightning. A frequent feature of legends about treasure seekers and others who tried to disturb prehistoric monuments it made me think about Lord Carnarvon digging into Tutankhamun's tomb. Windsor Great Park has quite an aura about it. It was the ancient hunting grounds of the kings and particularly of Henry VIII and it's the site of many pagan rituals including a story as well, Hearn the Hunter who Shakespeare wrote about in his play, The Merry Wives of Windsor. Shakespeare says, there's an old tale that goes that Hearn the Hunter, sometimes a keeper here in Windsor Forest, doth all the winter time at still midnight walk around an oak with great raggedy horns. And there he blasts the trees and takes the cattle and makes the milking cows yield blood and shakes a chain in a most hideous and dreadful manner. Pirated text of 1604 has different lines at this point. Interestingly, they say that belief in the ghost is exploited by mothers as a bogeyman to control unruly children. Oft have thou heard of Hearn the hunter died, that women to affright their little children says he walks in the shape of a great stag. There is no other early account of Hearn. In 1792, Samuel Ireland stated that Hearn had been a gamekeeper in Elizabeth's reign who hanged himself from an oak tree in Windsor Great Park. The form that Hearn takes on is that of a semi-stag. Harrison Ainsworth in his novel Windsor Castle in 1843 says Hearn is a ghost of a forester who was saved by the devil when he was gored by a stag on the condition that he would wear antlers henceforth but who ended in despair, suicide and damnation. Jacob Grimm suggested that Hearn had once been the imagined leader of the wild hunt, a demonic cavalcade which sweeps the midwinter skies bringing destruction in its path. There's records of the wild hunt being in the area of the White Horse, an ancient Neolithic chalk structure which is again within Berkshire. It was a site of many pagan Neolithic festivals, including Beltane, where fires would be lit and horses would be raced. And there's still the sounds of the wild hunt at certain times of year when the veils between the worlds are thin. Anyway, that's enough ghostly tales this week. As I say, I'll be back next week with tales of other spooky houses and we'll be circling back to update you on my spooky house in the future, so stay tuned.